Thank you for tuning in to This Week Explained, the intelligence-based geopolitical podcast that keeps you informed about the world around you. We are grateful for your support and appreciate you being a part of our community of informed listeners. We would love for you to share This Week Explained with your friends, family, and colleagues. Together, we can make a difference by sharing knowledge and fostering meaningful conversations. So, what are you waiting for? Help us grow our community by sharing This Week Explained with your loved ones. You are now listening to This Week Explained. For our two-year This Week Explain bonus episode, and we are going to answer all the questions that we've received, and we got some nice little notes from people, and we're just, you know, celebrating the, the fact that we've had you guys listen to us this long, <laughs> and we're sorry. <laughs> Tiana, sorry. I, yeah, it's I, I really appreciate the questions, all the questions that came in, and- Every single one's very, very important to us, but we didn't think we could have just scrubbed this whole thing because of what happened over the weekend, Um, because there are way more important things that are going on. And that became very evident yesterday. So instead of diving right into our listeners questions and everything, we are going to discuss what occurred in the last two days, which I'm sure everyone is aware of it, but we're going to give you some insight from Kervin's big brain. Well, should I call Chad out? Because not everybody was tracking. He had to have been joking. (laughs) He had to have been joking. Let's not be nasty right now. This is a a happy episode. So let's, let's dive right in, okay? The Hamas attack on Israel took everyone by surprise. Can you give us an overview of what happened and why... It is such a significant event. Yeah, so the attack was a coordinated assault by Hamas uh, involving breaches of the border fences between Palestine and Israel, uh, rocket launches. They even infiltrated across multiple fronts. They used air, land, and sea. So this was kind of a large-scale military act done by a terrorist organization. Obviously planned for a while. Yeah, with with the help, and we'll get into uh, other entities that most likely helped out. But uh, what makes it so remarkable is the element of surprise. So both Israeli and U.S. intelligence agencies, and and I won't put this on the analysts on the ground. I do believe that some analysts were actually highlighting this, but the leadership within their agencies dismissed it. Because they just just like the 9-11 attacks, they said, hey, this terrorist organization is neither equipped nor dumb enough to do this. Um, and that's usually what happens when you miss this sort of coordinated attack. So it, it does appear that those agencies have missed the signs that there were this there was this planning of a large scale operation. Wow. Don't you love it whenever people are they're so dismissive over something? Like that, and it, like, it's tragic for us. Learn, we didn't learn any lessons apparently since we're still falling into the same traps every single time. But, yeah. Okay. So this 
this is primarily an intelligence failure or, I mean, does it extend to a broader governmental failure instead? Yeah. So, you know, I would say it's two things can be true at the same time, meaning it's a multifaceted issue. And while the intelligence community does share some responsibility for not detecting the attack, like when it was going to happen, we've also got to consider the broader government context. So it raises questions about uh, domestic political turmoil in Israel and whether that affected decision making and the intelligence coordination. So my analysis of the situation puts the failure on both entities. Uh, this is why it's so important for the intelligence community to stay out of politics. We talk about that all the time. I, I say it when I go on podcasts, when you and I discuss it. I don't like to talk about politics because it kind of pulls you away from that unbiased um, concise factual reporting because you're right. reporting a worldview, and and I think in the U.S. we kind of need to change our policy on who's the customer of these federal intelligence agencies. So who is the customer of for the U.S. intelligence agencies? That's the U.S. government and the president of the United States. Well, why would it be better to change the customer for the intelligence community, and who would you change it to? So oh. Two great questions. Uh, starting with the first one, why is you know why would it be better? Look today, all we talk about is pol- is political infighting. We're talking about politics, conversation about social issues, economic impacts of various laws and regulations, and these are important conversations to have. But we can't be having that in the intelligence community. It kind of bogs down what the intel- intelligence community is tasked to do. We've also got. Uh, a domestic terrorism crisis in this country due to a small group of people feeling either unseen or worse targeted by policies put in by each new administration. So a new president comes in and a different group of people feel targeted. Or unseen, like you said. Or unseen, yeah. Um, and so that very that distracts an analyst from you know taking in data and making an outside-the-box analysis that could warn of a future attack like this because they're more focused on maybe what the social issues are or or what's leading to certain factions. Their their worldviews start coloring everything. Correct. Like you said, it's um, not as unbiased because you know you're you're letting your thoughts and your feelings and you you know what you take issue with kind of influence everything. Exactly, and and so who I think should be the customer for the intelligence community is the ones it's it's the people who need it directly right so the military that should be a direct customer for for the intelligence community because the military is already cooked in as part of the intelligence community right and so talking between like the CIA and military intelligence factions that's an easy thing to do talk back and forth to and they still don't do it because the CIA has to go to the president and the president tells the director of the CIA what that person what the president wants to view as far as his daily or his or her you know daily presidential brief and and so that muddies the waters there as well so if we leave it to the US military and I would also say the Department of Homeland Security okay. so homeland security should be the the one thing that the intelligence community focuses on. Uh-huh. So, well, I say one, but we're talking about two talk about two things. 
homeland security, so national security, and then also what foreign fact, what foreign adversaries are doing. And that should be the two things that the intelligence community is focused on. But you just said at the beginning of this that you thought it was due to a breakdown in communication between like the analysts that are on the ground and their bosses in which, you know, the bosses kind of underestimate these terrorist groups saying they aren't dumb enough to do something like that or they don't have the resources to accomplish something like that. So they just kind of push it to the side and ignore it. And if this is something that you say occurs quite frequently, honestly, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah, but that's all because of what I'm talking about with the like the director of the CIA takes his marching orders from the president. So when the the director of the CIA gets a report from a lowly analyst and I will tell I will tell you that's how they look at it. Yeah, oh I know. I know they do. Everybody thinks they're hotter yeah. crap than, you know, than and, the person below them. And it's definitely so, a hierarchy going on. Oh, definitely. And that's that's part of the issue. Uh, I think the analysts on the ground, the information that they're getting and the analysis that they're doing should take precedence over what the director of the CIA thinks is important because he's getting. And he's so far removed from this thing now because he's basically just analyzing information that was already analyzed by somebody else. Yes. Yeah. And, and they're looking and it, a lot of it has to do with what happened in with Russia and Ukraine, right? That's the focus right now. So, and this is within the U.S. intelligence, right? So U.S. intelligence missed this because they're so focused on what what's Russia going to do next? What What's Russia, and now also focusing on a potential uh, near-peer conflict with China. There, There's a lot going on. And so I think with this move away from the global war on terrorism, those analysts who were so focused on the global war on terrorism got knocked down a notch. Kind of got told, hey, we're not worried about that anymore. We defeated terrorism. Look, you didn't. You didn't. You- but that's what leadership thinks. We we did it. We defeated terrorism. And uh, we don't need those reports anymore. Kind of like the war on drugs that we won, right? We uh, drugs won that one so hard. Oh my gosh, they won that. They won that war. But <laughs> <And> it- <laughs> but within Israel, it's what scares me about what's happening in Israel is it kind of mirrors what's happening in the United States because Israel hasn't been able to put a government together in in I think two years, so. Where is, you know, where is Mossad getting? So if the the government controls is the customer for Mossad in Israel, who's getting those reports? Because there's no government. Hmm. You know, is it Benjamin Netanyahu, who's prime minister? Is it, uh, uh, was Ben Gavir? Who's getting this stuff? It doesn't seem like anybody is. And so that's, and, and so when this happens, it pulls resources from the intelligence community and then it distracts everybody. And that distraction is a gold mine for terrorists. And so is that what happened here? Was the Israeli intelligence community distracted by its government's infighting? Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that it has to, some of that has to do with being distracted. And it's um, a but, holiday for them too. Yes. And and this is how terrorism works. So it's it's not like a major military formed up on the border and prepared for an attack. A special military? 
a special Operation. listen they've been there's a lot to talk uh I've, I've been seeing that a lot on the socials what israel's kind of shading uh russia by saying they're going to war with hamas that's that's their declaration they made a declaration of war and right. they kind of put in quotes there they said this is not a special military operation. This is a war. <laughs> a little bit of shade there. But yeah, um, that's awesome. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that Hamas retained incredible operational security, what we call OPSEC. Right. Um, we, we actually, instead of talking, I mean, there should be talk about the failure from the intelligence community to identify this and people should be fired because of it. But we should also be discussing how Hamas counterintelligence team did this incredible job. They're hiding. not gonna. They're not gonna tell us their secrets. Yeah, no. Somebody will find out though. Um, <laughs> we are led to believe that Iran played a part in the planning and execution of this and operation, Hezbollah, right? Yep, Hezbollah. Um, and and Hezbollah has started to you know fire missiles into the northern side from right. uh, from Lebanon into Israel. Um, so now Israel's fighting on multiple fronts. Uh, but as far as how big of an intelligence failure this is, I see some are comparing it to 9-11 in mm-hmm. the U.S., and, and that is a fair comparison. Right. Very similar, right? Hey, we mm-hmm. didn't think Osama bin Laden would ever do this. We didn't think they were capable or dumb enough to do it. It's mm-hmm. the exact same. Um, I do know there's going to be a lot of research going on about uh, how this happened without triggering alarms in in Israeli and also Western intelligence. So it's going to be some big changes in Israeli intelligence, and you're going to see a lot of the, the same changes that happened in the U.S. after 9-11. What lessons can we draw from this attack? I mean, if you were talking with intelligence leaders in Israel, what would you be telling them? Well, the key lesson... Uh, is that even the most capable intelligence agencies have blind spots. That's just evident from this. Um, And there's only one way to fix that. The intelligence community needs to be able to effectively drown out the noise from government infighting and focus only on their job, and that's national security. That should be the job of the intelligence community. The, The public sector intelligence community, that means government, intelligence, uh, the CIA, things like that. They should not be used to analyze social norms or the economy. Leave that to the social scientists and the economists in the government. Also, there there needs to be continuous improvement in intelligence collection and analysis. Every time, so we kind of get, continue to do what the intelligence community has been doing, and then an attack like this happens, And that's when the intelligence community pivots and says, oh, we should be doing something new. You should be continuously changing. Right. It shouldn't take a catastrophe in order for you to recognize you need to change up your game plans. (laughs) Yeah, that needs to stop. We got to stop that. Like technologies Uh, change rapidly. You know, government leadership changes all the time. So obviously you need to pivot accordingly. (laughs) Yep. Adapt. Prepare. Should. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it frustrates me within, like talking to people within the intelligence community when they say things like, you know, they're doing the same thing I was doing 15 years ago. Right. It's like they're utilizing 
the intelligence community does a great job of utilizing new technologies. There is no doubt about that. But then they, we always revert back to how we analyze a situation by saying, uh, you know, right now we use a lot of counterterrorism stuff within the U.S. And, and that's great when you're dealing with counterterrorism, which would have been done for this. But now we pivoted to, you know, to Russia and we still tried to use the intelligence community um, counterterrorism or COIN, which was, uh, you know, the sort of counterterrorism operations to do the exact same thing towards Russia. And we lost focus on the actual terrorists. And I think that's what happened here. And then finally, I would like to say that this event proves there needs to be timely and effective intelligence sharing. And that's both domestically, but uh, both domestically and internationally. Well, moving forward, are we looking at a major security disruption in the Middle East? I mean, sounds pretty terrible. Yeah, right right now it's within Israel and Palestine. There's some movement into Lebanon, but um, there is potential for escalation, for bleed over into other regions. So this attack, like you said, came at a sensitive time. It was a holy day. Um, But also there there were these signs of a deal with normalizing relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Right? That seems so hopeful. Very, very hopeful. And so that's part of why this was planned at this time. So right? you think Saudi Arabia was in on it? No, I think Iran was in on it to sway oh. Saudi Arabia. Away from Israel? Away from Israel. And that's happening right now. So they're already backing out on those potential normalizing yep. relations? Oh, geez. They certainly are. And, and it was, I really do, in my analysis of the situation, my opinion of it is that Iran planned this. Hamas is a Palestinian uh, terrorist organization that is funded by Iran. And I do believe Iran told them, carry out this attack. You have our full backing because they want it. They want it to serve as a warning to other countries within the Middle East, considering peace agreements with Israel. So with that said, we can't ignore the possibility of increased volatility in the region. Iran is often a key player in Middle Eastern conflicts. Do you see them getting involved, like overtly involved in this situation? Yeah, because, you know, what I'm talking about is very covert. Right. Because they haven't come out and admitted it yet. Right now, they're just kind of. Right. They just. We support Hamas. (laughs) Death to Israel. We support Hamas. but, But we don't know what went in on the planning. That'll come out later. But I for sure think. Um, that that Iran's going to get involved militarily as this escalates. Uh, Iran has supported Hamas in the past. Um, if if the conflict escalates, they're going to choose to become more directly involved. Their influence in the region cannot be underestimated. But then I guess they're going to quit sending drones to Russia, huh? Ooh, that's, right. Uh, there is so much, and so the so next many layers episode- to this. <laughs> Yeah, the, the next episode of This Week Explained is going to cover all of this stuff because Russia is right. getting involved and, you know, there's all these sort of well, layers. I, yeah, because, I mean, Iran, obviously, I mean, they've already confirmed, right? Or No, they didn't confirm it. No. They just found this, some drone parts that were Iranian, right? Yeah, they still say they have not 
sent the uh, Shaheen drones to Russia. Yeah. Well, if they're focusing on their own conflict, I don't see them getting any more drones from Iran. Russia getting any more. That's why they have North Korea, right? Oh, maybe that's why they friggin' went so hard with North Korea. They they knew it was coming. The love love fest, yeah. Had to be maybe. Oh, we're breaking news here. Look at that. Well, don't say we're breaking news. We're speculating here. Very much speculation. Okay, so if the U.S. decides to get involved, which, gosh darn it, what might that look like? (laughs) Yeah, Israel is is one of the U.S.'s top um, allies. I mean, they are the top ally in the Middle East, but globally, they're one of the the top U.S. allies. So is the U.S. going to get involved? Yes. As this drags on, U.S. will get involved, but it's going to come in various forms. We're not talking like boots on the ground, U.S. military. It's going to look like diplomatic efforts or uh, military support for Israel, meaning... um, when I say military support, I mean sending military equipment. I don't mean okay. boots on the ground. Okay. The extent of their involvement is obviously going to depend on the evolving situation. So as it drags on, you're going to see the U.S. ramp up. But also, what are the U.S. foreign policy goals? They Do they want to keep Israel that top ally? Or it, it goes back to changing of administrations how does the biden administration see israel right now as long as israel continues to be able to defend itself without a large-scale u.s military deployment i do think the pentagon's going to choose to just send military equipment much much like what's being done for ukraine once that's started you'll see them tackle the diplomatic approach um, they're going to bring in a bunch of the allies in the middle east that are wavering and try to bring them back towards Israel. Are there any indications that other countries might become involved? Yeah, there's uh, so friendly Arab states. I'm talking about friendly to Western nations. And we're, we're talking about Egypt, Jordan, uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. They're closely monitoring the situation because they have vested interests on both sides. Uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia, Arabia publicly stated that they support Hamas right now because of Israel's oppressive government. Uh, I I think that is I think the what Hamas has done it is not warranted because of quote unquote Israel's oppressive government. But um, the involvement of those countries is going to depend on how the conflict develops and their respective alliances. So each country is going to evaluate the pros and cons of remaining neutral or getting involved and. That's not something that they're going to do quickly. They're they're going to decide on this over time. Well, what are the broader implications of this event for the future? The the biggest question here is how does this affect peace negotiations in the region? Uh, right now, it's eroding hopes for a two state solution in Israel. That was supposed to bring peace in the region, Palestine and Israel, two state solution. They can come together. Uh, that's eroded. That's going to have repercussions beyond the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's going to impact regional dynamics in the Middle East. Should the U.S. and Western Europe be nervous about this development? I mean, I'd say yes, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I don't think you should go. You should not be sleeping at night because you're worried about a terrorist attack. I'm not saying that I'm just saying like. 
feels like the world's crumbling over there. Yeah, I mean, the intelligent... you know, affect us in other ways. I mean, maybe we won't have any conflict on the ground here, but it will, I don't know, further affect prices on things. Yeah. And, you know. And and in that mindset, you, you should be nervous. This adds another conflict around the globe that uh, increases prices, that, you know, stops goods being shipped and everything, but... That's on a like on an individual level. That's what you should be nervous about: increased prices, not having access to certain things. Yeah, availability. Um, availability. As far as terrorist attacks, I think the intelligence community and each nation's militaries should Are be on high alert. Yeah, definitely because of this. Um, we've got to have careful analysis and strategic planning from those two entities to kind of temper some of the nerves. So, so the intelligence community when they identify an issue, should be speaking out about that. That, that should be publicized. Um, now, the, the major events we need to be focused on right now within this conflict, within Hamas versus Israel, we got to look at, are there talks of diplomatic solutions globally? We haven't seen that yet. So there's there should be some concern. Um, we need to, to see, understand which way the Arab states friendlier to the West are leaning. That's going to go a long way in in understanding, is this going to be a protracted war or is this going to come to an end pretty soon? Um, If the West can leverage the majority of those Arab states to denounce what's going on with Hamas and now Hezbollah getting involved, um, it's going to go a long way in stopping the war and then calming tensions in the region. Okay, well, finally... Okay. How, I mean, obviously, we don't have a ton of information right now, but as of right now, how could you see this conflict ending? Well, I think Hamas poked the bear. They're about to, I mean, we always say, not, not going to say the actual word, but you F around and find out, right? Right. They're about to find out because Israel has said that because of this, They will destroy the entire organization. Oh, my gosh. They are sending text messages to uh, people within Palestine, with Mm -hmm. to civilians within Palestine and saying, depart now because we are sending the entire mess you up. Yeah. Entire weight of Israel is coming on to Hamas. Oh, Um, man, a peaceful resolution is going to be tough right now. Uh, You can my voice may be cracking a little bit because it's just tragic everything that's that, that's going on there um it's going to require international cooperation we're going to need to see ceasefires and a commitment to addressing the underlying issues that's what needs to be addressed right now the the region is just not stable enough to believe that that's going to happen right now I feel like they've tried to bring up underlying issues plenty of times but it just results in more conflict there I think they're just don't want to listen to each other yeah that's that's one of the underlying issues you know i mean you i feel like they've i'm saying that like it's been discussed before the reasons behind this conflict and nobody's willing to capitulate to the other or you know concede or you know it just i don't know that's why you need to have a good mediator and we don't have one we don't have a gary we don't have a a gary nesner right a gary nesner (laughs) i like that 
That's a throwback, y'all. Y'all should yep. go back and listen to that episode of um, first Insightful episode inquiries. Oh yeah, it was the first episode of Insightful Inquiries. Great so, guest. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a tragedy without a doubt, and we will be following this conflict for its entirety. But as this was quite unexpected. We can save the full analysis of the situation for the next episode of This Week Explained. But because it is our two-year anniversary, and to say thank you for following along to our independent podcast, we wanted to give you, the audience, a voice on this episode. Um, We asked for any and all questions, and you all came through. Um, Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We will try to get to them all, so keep those Answer short, Carbon, because we know how you love to hear yourself talk. It's already bad. I I've rolled. And he's short, and he's also he can see me, and I've rolled my eyes. I don't know how many times at him, and that keeps me talking, right? I know he does it despite <laughs> me. He just keeps going. It's like, geez, but um, let's see. So I'm trying to find the question. Yeah, getting the questions here. up. I'm trying to find the question. Okay, first up, we have friend of the show and two-time guest of the podcast, Cole, from Alcon Intel, and he asks, Low-intensity conflict. The U.S. Navy calls it violent peace. Some academics say it means, quote, to fight without appearing to fight, end quote. Given the growing geopolitical, political, and social tensions in the West, what is Oakland Analytics' assessment of the likelihood of low-intensity conflict reaching Western nations? Is it already there? So, uh, first, we should probably talk about low-intensity conflict and what it what it means. Cole kind of churched it up there. Um, violent peace, that sounds pretty good, but uh, honestly, a low-intensity conflict is when two or more countries are not getting along, but they're not using all of their power to have a huge war. So they use smaller, less intense actions, try to get what they want, or to uh, deter the other person or defend themselves. They typically do this um, and and try to use, and then stop me if you haven't heard of all of these that have been used recently, political arguments, check, economic pressure, check, spying and cyber attacks check propaganda or as in the case with Iran and Hamas sending of their sending someone else's soldiers instead of their own that's the way countries might support might give support to groups within another country that they want to kind of change change things so what is the likelihood of low intensity conflict re- reaching western nations uh, it's already here that's that's my analysis of it uh, that's especially if you consider Israel as a Western nation, and uh, this question I'm sure came in before Hamas and Israel went to war, but um, yeah, it's here. Israel is a Western ally, um, but but also what's going on between Russia and Ukraine could be viewed as low-intensity conflict for the U.S. and NATO because they're not directly involved, but they are dealing with quite a few of those examples. They're dealing with cyber attacks and spying, propaganda, political arguments. We're seeing that within the U.S., right? So, look, Cole's always out all... He's out front on all of this stuff, so go follow him. If you're not following Cole, I don't know what you're doing. 
Um, he's got a lot of great, great analysis. Um, so it's not surprising that this question came from him. Cole also sent this lovely message in. Carvin and t- <laughs> no, Just don't say it in click. Cole also sent this lovely message in. Um, Carvin and Tiana, congratulations on the two-year milestone of consistently high-quality insights and interviews. This Week Explained is one of my regular listens, and it keeps me up to date on the world in a digestible and engaging way. You two make a rock-solid podcast team. Keep up the good work, and my ears look forward to all the episodes to come. That's so sweet. Thanks a lot, Cole. Thank you, Cole. Yeah. There's, as long as you're listening, we'll keep putting episodes out. So. <laughs> right. Well, all right. So I wanted to split these between tough intelligence, geopolitical questions, and fun personal questions. So right off the bat, I want to get into this question <laughs> from Josh McManus from Louisiana. Oh. Who, okay, so here we go. Who would win a game between the... <laughs> Can you get through it? <laughs> the I most important. I just immediately started laughing when I saw Josh's name, and now I can't yeah, stop yeah. laughing. Okay, so... Who would win a game between the 1995 Nebraska Cornhuskers? Oh, yeah. And the 2019 LSU Tigers? Bias allowed. Well, we know where the bias is at, right? You? Um, you're, you're the. Yep. Towards, it's skewed towards. Um. So, bias allowed LSU 2019. I mean, the, the 2009 LSU team would beat the 95. The 1995 LSU team would beat the 95 Cornhuskers team if bias is allowed. Um, but an analysis... Was it 2003 or 2004 when they won then, too? It was like... Two, uh, 2003, LSU won, and yeah. then um, 2007. I'm still they, mad at myself for get Like, my sister and I won the lottery to go <laughs> to that freaking game, and we... Ugh. And they it was against Oklahoma. Was that against Oklahoma? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and so gave the tickets to uh, your family to boys. Yeah, so never do that. Never do that. Never do that. Do not give your tickets to boys. Yeah, Taylor Swift, (laughs) don't do it. What Taylor Swift doesn't have to give her tickets to anybody. (laughs) Come on, they're giving her their tickets. All the Swifties buying up tickets. Go okay, to the game. Well, answer. Okay, answer. Okay. Did you I'll answer it, it already? No, I won't. Uh, um, I will answer it through an analysis of both teams, and I'll keep it very brief, like you said. You uh, the The 95 Cornhuskers had probably one of the best defenses in, um, in college football at the time. But I just, if we're talking about 95 and 2019, like I think a better comparison would be the 2005 or 2006 USC Trojans that had Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush. Um, They had a great defense. I think that would give the 2019 LSU Tigers a run for their money. But I just don't think there's any comparison to that 2019 team. They had Heisman Trophy quarterback, maybe one of the best pro-style quarterbacks in college football history. And our son, Joe our Burrow. Son, Joe Burrow. We call him our son. <laughs> yeah, the tiger, the Tiger King, the only Tiger King, the only Tiger King that matters for sure. Um, yeah, I don't think the '95 Cornhuskers would have a chance. Their defense would keep it close. It wouldn't be like the national championship that was just a blowout. Um, but there, there's no stopping 
Jordan Jefferson, Joe Burrow, that that group. You can't do it. Okay, well, next question, and let's do a geopolitical one. Okay. So Mike from Instagram asked, how do you foresee a war with China playing out? Urban or jungle ops? And would a war with China bring in their allies as well? Well, I think uh, I think it starts with naval and air assets. Thanks, Mike, for that. That's a great yeah, question. Thank you, Mike. Um, and so those assets would be deployed along the coast. And so then when Xi gives the go-ahead for those assets to launch, they're going to launch to invade um, to, to invade Taiwan by air and sea. And it's much like Russia did along the border with Ukraine. Stage all of those troops up there and then invade. So it's going to be a large-scale naval battle at the beginning. This is what the U.S. is training for, and that's what they think they're going to need to be prepared for, is a large-scale naval battle. Now, as the war gets into a protracted war, so a long-term war, there's going to certainly be a mix of urban and jungle warfare. I think that as far as the U.S. is concerned, we're at a disadvantage in jungle warfare. Uh, We really need to do a better job training for that environment. Uh, Look, I can tell you from experience, from what I'm doing now, that the U.S. is working on improving training in that particular environment. Now, urban warfare, especially on the island of Taiwan, is an advantage for the U.S. It's not on the. This isn't on the same scale. It's the the U.S. fought, uh, but the U.S. has fought an urban war for over 20 years. We fought in cities like Baghdad, Kabul. That made urban warfare training a necessity for everyone involved. So I do think that the U.S. is a bit more prepared for that. Now, would China bring in their allies? Yeah, they're definitely going to bring in their allies once the U.S. is fully involved. Uh, The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is going to continue to use anti-Western propaganda to influence allies to join the fight. This is why China's working so hard to improve relations. Those relations that they're trying to improve is with Latin American countries. So they can take the fight directly to the United States. Okay, well, with that conversation in mind, let's take on another question that kind of fits both personal and geopolitical. Marcus asked, um, reading about wars and conflict every day must be exhausting and emotionally draining. What do you guys do to stay sane? (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, I can say we watch a lot of comedies. We, We try to just decompress. Right. We try to find the dumbest movies. A lot of times whenever we're just exhausted, mentally exhausted, and just don't want to hear any more sadness or strife, don't want to hear any more about that, we try to find the worst, like, lowest rated movies we possibly can on Amazon Prime, because they don't have very many like good movies for streaming, but they have a lot of garbage movies for streaming. Your your dad used to explain it as like you yeah. see the stars and like yeah. gold stars is how many the stars white, the it white, is. The white stars are how many stars it is, but he, <laughs> he would call it how many four black stars or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was gray stars, right? Because the white stars is. Yeah, just it's, you know the ones that aren't filled in, the parts that aren't. Filled yeah, in, he would he would um, judge them by that. My dad actually got um, us hooked on watching garbage movies yeah. that probably should not be allowed to stream, and we just make fun of them the whole time. Like yeah. we 
we talk through the entire movie and talk about what we don't like about the movie and what wouldn't be able to be made today and how racist this is and how misogynistic that is now and we really really enjoy it we just dissect these movies from like the 80s and beyond <laughs> yeah comedy is a great way to kind of decompress comedy. from it it lot we do video games play video yep. games i uh, read but well we both read books i like to just watch sporting events just to keep my mind off of things um you do you have, do too you come with me to all the sporting events as well oh i love sports and it's, what else do we even well, do? Well, we've, we've done away with caffeine. Uh, yeah, so. we don't drink caffeine anymore. Who are we? Who are we? Uh, and that's just an anxiety kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I was drinking a pot of coffee a day to kind of deal with everything. So now I've gone to mushroom. Um, coffee? Mushroom coffee. So lower caffeine. Tiana's completely done with caffeine. Does herbal teas in the morning. And so I think that's that's really good. Um, I think that another anxiety down a notch that yep. does like <laughs> for sure. meditation. If you're religious, getting into your religious scriptures, right? Meditating, praying, what, whatever it is, speaking to whatever entity that you believe in is scientifically proven to calm you, to make you less anxious. That somatic is somatic exercises. Somatic exercises are very good. I'm learning. <laughs> I am learning. This is something Tiana is teaching me. Yeah, they they're wonderful. I if you guys want to know more, just message us. But we do those every day. Yep, and they help you release trauma that's stored in your body. And so we have tons go. of it. We. <laughs> I mean, you got to think if you're if you're reading about these things every day, I have right. trauma. And we and we carry, and we are very um, sensitive people. I don't know if Carvin will openly admit to that but he's very sensitive too he, he has a house full of sensitive people and so we tend to carry like our interactions with regular people with us and we bring that home and we have to find a way to kind of get that off of us and recognize that we can't fix everything can't help everybody but it's hard because all that's all my kids want to do. Oh my gosh, you should hear some of the stories they say when they come back from their interactions with people. Ugh, they're like the ain't they're angels, little angels, little angels. All right, I'm sorry, but thank you, thank you so much for that question. Yeah, thank you for looking out for our mental health, Marcus. We appreciate it. But I promise, we're, I promise we're okay, even though we don't sound like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to another question from another great friend of the podcast and a new addition to our family we love you ricky ricky love from you, ricky. Rickyno- ricky from rickynomics asked what is a topic you'd like to discuss on a guest podcast that you haven't touched on oh that's a great question um i always get asked a lot about my background or after rehash my you know intelligence career and stuff i would like to talk more about solutions whether that's within the intelligence community or, um, you know, geopolitics, I don't get, I mean, I'm just one guy with, we have a very small following, so I don't know how many people are listening, but I would like to be asked more about like solutions, about how new technologies could kind of change the intelligence community. So if I'm being honest, that's really something I, I wish people would ask when I'm doing these guest spots. You are a 
problem solver kind of guy. Anytime I have an issue or a problem, you immediately start coming up with solutions while I have my panic attacks. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I have been working on on not doing that because a lot of times you're not trying to figure out a solution. You're just trying to vent. And that is a solution in and of itself is I'm going to vent all this out, publicize but it to you. Still, it, it, it helps me whenever, like hearing that you know a way to attack a certain thing and so I can calm down but it does kind of wind me up more yes it it can I can have that effect when I do talk about solutions and so that's probably part of the reason why I would like to discuss that is to get better at uh at publicly discussing my solutions because hey one of my solutions for the the global um droughts and stuff was desalinization that was in 2010 it's 2023, and MIT has just now considered that a good form of That's uh, so wild. How is it just now? That just doesn't make any sense. How? So that's why that was one of those. Uh, well, yes, please. Someone ask him about solutions because he's always trying to come up with solutions to problems. Other They're not all good. Problems, his problem. Hey, you got to, it's called, you know, you just troubleshoot. Trial and error. Trial and error. Okay. So our next question comes from Aaron at Jack of All Tradecraft. He's a pretty good dude too. Yep. Friend of friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. He's a he's a good guy. So what does quote war with China and quote and war with Russia? So what does it actually look like? And here's the follow-up. Are we already at war with strained international relations, constant cyber activities, and economic tensions? Excellent. Uh, excellent question. I'd expect nothing less from Aaron at Jack of All Tradecraft. Follow him if you want. Uh, he deals a lot He's with safety a, and security. Yeah, safety and security. He's got a lot of really cool suggestions, especially if you're a big traveler. Yep. Um. He, he's also um, really good friends with Andrew Bustamante, so he knows what he's talking about because he's actually developed some of the courses that Everyday Spy is doing. So a physical hot war with China and Russia, that's World War III. That's what we're going to be looking at. And, and I say that because it's going to be fought on multiple levels. So the, the fighting is going to bleed over into the Middle East and Africa. That's why we focus on the continent of Africa a lot and it's going to be on a scale that we have never seen because I don't think anyone listening right now was alive during World War II no no okay (laughs) that is what the scale is going to be for this one multiple fronts Europe Asia Africa even even South America whatever you say South America for sure since China's working so hard down there Exactly. Um, whatever you think about those countries' militaries, on an individual level, China, U.S., Russia, um, it's going to be a near-peer conflict in a contested environment. That means the, U- the U.S. and China, they're going to need to adapt to the environment. Russia, they're, right now, they're, their military is being depleted by the war in Ukraine, but they're learning lessons right now. The lessons they are learning will be useful for them and for China during a conflict like what I'm talking about right now, a near-peer conflict. Now, are, are we already at war? Um, if we're talking about a Cold War, I would say yes. If we're talking about what Cole asked about from Alcon Intel, like I said, we are already at war. 
um, a, a new Cold War with at least China is already happening. A hot war with Russia is becoming more and more likely the longer the war in Ukraine goes on. So, so that's what we're looking at right now. Now, I have a question for you, Tiana. For me? For you. Okay. This comes from Instagram. Oh, God. It is from I Have Pets. Oh, geez. On Instagram. And she, first of all, she asked if she could get a birthday shout out from right. her favorite podcasters. Right. I would like to know how many podcasts this little turd has listened to. <laughs> so for those listening that are wondering why we're calling one of our favorite uh, listeners. listeners a turd is because that is Charlotte. That is our youngest. And her birthday's coming up. And yeah. so would you like to give Charlotte, Charlotte, I know you're listening and I've told you to stop. Cause... She came, Well, she came in the kitchen whenever I was um, putting the pork chops, the smothered pork chops on. And she's like, I heard that I'm going to get a birthday shout out on my favorite podcast. <laughs> and I was like, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So here it is. Let's see. Will she get it? Well, Obviously, happy birthday, my beautiful Charlotte Olivia O'Quinn. I love you so much. You are, you're so much more than I could have ever imagined. I, I just friggin' adore you. I, I'm not. I'm about to start crying. Yeah, about no, that. you're she's trying this. Like she's 15, and that's just wild. Yeah. <laughs> As people always say, you're not old enough to have a 15-year-old. Well, we have a 19-year-old. Yeah, so. we have a 19-year-old, and we're about to have a 17-year-old. So, yep. And the, the, our two eldest are at work right now. They have jobs. We didn't ask them to get jobs. They wanted to make their own money because we told them, we're like, uh, you know, while you're in college and everything, we'll pay for everything. As long as you're in college and you're getting good grades, like, you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, we're blessed they, enough to do that. We are, ble- we are blessed to have that ability, but they were like, no, we want to make our own money so we can buy crap like guinea pig <laughs> strollers and outfits for the pets and- Cosplays. Cosplays and stuff yeah. like that. So, hey, whatever. Can you, whatever. But anyways, right. I just want to say happy birthday to our babyest baby of all babies. Happy I birthday. Love I, we love you so much. We cannot wait to see where you go from here. Definitely. Cannot wait. Um, uh, she had, but she did have questions. Check. That she was just, questions? she had two different questions. Oh. And uh, um, it's, I guess it's for both of us, but I'd love knowing what this question is. I would love to hear your answer because I know it already, what you told people before. What? So the question is, um, what made you get into podcasting? Which is a question that Matt asked you. <laughs> while we were at the festival and I loved your answer for it because it's so brutally honest and if you Ooh. know Tiana the only thing she is is brutally honest I am not only brutally honest I can you know I can soften things when I want to it's but just... I, I guess I shouldn't have said brutally honest I just mean you're gonna tell someone the truth well there's no point if they're like how's your day going you're gonna tell them you're not oh, gonna like, be this is, it's crap yeah <laughs> You're not going to be like me that goes, I'm good, I'm good, and I'm obviously not good. I'm like the guy that's at the doctor going, how much pain do you have? And I'm like, the normal amount. And he's like, that's no pain. And I go, That sounds like, this sounds like the doctor, (laughs) yeah. Well, okay, so she wants to know what made me get into podcasting. Your dad. That's the answer. (laughs) 
And my favorite part of podcasting is when we're done recording. You're welcome. <laughs> the dinner after recording. The it's not after- the juice boxes. Oh, yeah. Well, the juice boxes are a new development. Yeah. But um, definitely, the I'm always I always look forward to dinner because before we start recording um, the podcast on Friday evening, I usually start dinner. So by the time we're done recording, I can go downstairs and finish it up. And we can have a big meal together, a family meal. That's my favorite part. And it's- uh, but also, I'm going to be totally honest here. I love being able to help your dad. And I love knowing that um, I'm a part of it. I know I, I run my mouth and I <laughs> say a bunch of bad things about podcasting. But really, I just like supporting Curvin. And um, everything else that comes with it, it does make me a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, that that's just small. That's small compared to how happy, how much he enjoys it and how much he likes, you know, reaching out to people and answering all these questions and stuff. I mean, it's not for me, but I love him a whole lot. So and, I, you. and I'm sorry I keep sniffing so much into the microphone like my nose will not stop running. It's all good. I appreciate that answer, and I'm glad that you do enjoy doing that, and yeah, I love I you. Like, I just like running my mouth. It's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any more questions? <laughs> well, you didn't, you didn't answer. You didn't oh, answer. did I get what into got podcasting? You, into podcasting? <laughs> you better answer your daughter's question. All right, Charlotte. Well, as you know, I love to hear myself talk, mm-hmm. and I think I have an answer for everything. He does. So that's why I got into podcasting. But but really, it all started during quarantine when I kind of saw all of these events happening and everybody was talking about them through their own worldview. And I kind of looked at it like even these open source intelligence accounts were very biased and, and were providing insights in a very biased way. And I thought that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I thought that podcasting was probably the best way to, I want to say attack that, but that's not a good term for it, was kind of get out front of that and show right. what intelligence analysis should really look like. And on that note, you should share podcasts with your family and friends. You definitely, I mean, you yeah. should, if you I'm enjoy okay it. it now, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and what's my favorite part of podcasting? This is going to sound... Uh, I don't know, dopey, romantic. I love that I can do it with Tiana. I love that she gets to ask the questions to me and I get to to answer it and we have that back and forth and that it's something that we can do together as a couple. Because we don't do anything together other than this. Ever. Well, we do a lot of things I know, together. I'm just, kidding. But just kidding. I'm kidding. We've kind, of, we've kind of like got this schedule now where we have the recording time. Yeah. It has now become part of our routine. And I love, I love, I look forward our Thursday, to it. Yeah, our Thursdays are really enjoyable. It, it's they set are. in stone. It gives us something to to do. Um, and then I appreciate another one of my favorite things is this kind of stuff where questions get asked randomly through Instagram or emails or on Spotify through the podcast. And it means that people are engaged and they're listening and they're right. actually, um, it's like the Ted Lasso thing. To always be inquisitive. Yeah. That's what we want. Be inquisitive. 
Um, if we're saying something wrong, go, or if you think these guys are saying something wrong, do your research. And if we are, let me know. I yeah, want we to want, to, we do want to know for sure. And also, I know I act like I completely uh, <laughs> can't stand this, but I actually do enjoy talking to listeners as well. And we appreciate you guys listening, especially make- for two years. Like, We've made a lot of good friends. Yeah, very. I mean, Ricky, we, I would leave for New York tomorrow if Ricky called up and was like, hey, I need you guys to come see me. Yeah, we would for sure. For but sure. Anyways, and yeah. <sighs> All right. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. All right. It comes from Steve and he asks, would you guys, oh, would you guys let your kids join the military seeing as conflicts are on the rise? Do you want to go first? Because I, I have an answer. And well, it- I mean, okay, my answer is I don't want my children in the military because I it hurts my heart thinking about it. But obviously they will be adults and that's their decision to make and I can't sway them one way or the other other if they do have that on their hearts if that's what they want to do I will fully support them I'll cry the entire time but I will fully support my children no matter what they want to do and if they want to support their country I'm not gonna try to influence them otherwise they are their own people they are they can make their own decisions and I fully trust those decisions even if it conflicts with what I feel they should be doing because you know it Honestly, it would kind of be a point of pride to have my kids feel like they want to join the military. But I mean, I, I would still, I'd, I'd cry a whole lot. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so your answer is definitely my answer. Oh, okay. Um, and I t- here's a little, uh, I hate, I know you hate this, The <laughs> how the sausage is made. Oh. Here's how the sausage is made. We Don't. didn't discuss the answers with each other, um, but this is, we're, we're definitely of one mind. I would support their adults, right? Right. Support what they wanted to do. Knowing our kids, I don't think they want to go into the military. But hey, at 17 years old, I didn't think I wanted to go into the military. And also, we don't know if like with all the conflicts, another draft is on the, you know, horizon. And if that happens, obviously now they're going to draft females too. So what can you do, you know? Yeah, so I would give them, just like we do here with this podcast, I would give all of the facts behind, mm-hmm. you know, the pros and cons. We would have them talk to multiple people who have been in the military, yeah. which luckily we know basically, basically We know everyone. We know, yeah. yeah, basically everyone has been in the military, so they have plenty, an assortment of people to talk to, so they can that, discuss. That's probably why I think they don't want to go into the military. <laughs> Because of who they know that have been in the military. But, well, either way, obviously, whether it be by draft or their own volition, um, we will support them. But the thought of my children um, fighting a war hurts my... Like, I can feel myself having gastrointestinal issues right now. Yeah. Nausea. Just thinking about it. And it's like... A hypothetical question yeah. as of right now and it still makes me nervous okay we can move on yeah Woo! all right but thank you so much for that question steve because you know 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it because I try not to think about it. <laughs> thank you for making me face my fear. <laughs> All right, so let's get to a less serious question because I need to bring my blood pressure back down. And this one is from one of our OG listeners, Chad. Oh, Chad. We love you, Chad. We love you, Chad. And happy belated birthday, Chad. Oh, so, yeah. will the Saints ever win another Super Bowl? Oh, at the rate they're going now, no. Aww. So, what do they need? Let's let's analyze the situation here. They need Carr to come back. So, Carr, Carr starting. Um, they need a new offensive coordinator. I think they need a oh, new Oh, my gosh. Coach. I think Dennis Allen, um, he's Tried. the defensive coordinator. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, but he's obviously just a defensive coordinator. He's a fantastic, one of the top, most elite defensive coordinators you can find. He's not a head coach. So find a head coach, have Dennis Allen as the defensive coordinator, and find an offensive coordinator. And I think this team right now, that it's the the way it's set up right now, if you take the coaching and improve the coaching, that's a team that can go to the Super Bowl. All right, well, we had another question from Aaron at Jack of All Tradecraft. He wants to know, how does nation-state espionage compare to corporate espionage? Oh, that's a that's a good question, being that, um, that, that I don't know if the corporate espionage that Aaron's asking about is something that I've been involved in, but as far as like corporate intelligence and business intelligence and stuff, so nation-state espionage is life or death. If you're found out at like, I went out to Yemen. You thought I had died at some point. That wasn't my fault, though. But that's a very real outcome of nation-state espionage. Oh, okay. Corporate espionage. Yeah, that was a fun time. Yeah, so (laughs) so it's life or death. Corporate espionage is you get found out, maybe you lose your job, maybe you go to jail. These are terrible things that could happen. Um, The the business that you're working with that's doing the espionage can can get taxed or sanctioned, things like that. Um, and that's terrible, but not as bad as, you know, getting being taken as a hostage, being interrogated, tortured, tortured, dying. So I would say that is the difference between those two. We got another question from an OG listener. Madam President Wendy McManus. Our asks, favorite. Yeah, where, in case you guys are wondering, she is our friend's daughter, and she's going to be our president one day, so you better show her the proper respect. It's yes. very, yeah. So, where were you exactly one year ago today? Okay, I got to bring up the calendar. You do? Are you really going to do that? Yeah, I'm bringing it up right now. So, 2022... On this day was a what? It was a Saturday. Yeah. So we were probably, well, the the Nationals baseball season was over. Okay. I That was a Saturday. We're probably at Water's End. <laughs> I would have to say, right? It's a Saturday yeah. after yeah, the we season's over. we were at Water's End. We were at a brewery, Wendy. So we were having beers. Um, yeah. You can ask your dad what a beer is. Just kidding. She knows what a beer is. She's from South Louisiana. Come on. (laughs) Babies, they know that immediately. (laughs) Well, so yeah, probably at Water's End. Okay, so. So we had uh, had another more geopolitical question. Go for it. 
so Jeff had asked, mm-hmm. he says, he says, what do you view as the end solution for the war in Ukraine? And the, the end is going to be a peace deal, definitely. Uh, I don't know. I was about to say, make a big pot of borscht. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> That would be, I mean, get everybody to come together around the table. But we've I just ta- started thinking about borscht. Which I love. Um, in, in Russia, great borscht. Well, I'm going to make borscht. I'm saying I was thinking about making making borscht. Oh, Tiana's Russian borscht. It's so good. Okay, I don't it know It is what. good. So, but... I'm sorry, Jeff, I did not mean to distract from your question. It's just that it distract. I'm hungry, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, how how does it end? Uh, we've discussed this a few times. No one's coming to the peace, to the negotiating table, I would say, right. until right. one country has an advantage over the other. And right now we don't have that. They're neck and neck, guys. They're still neck and neck. As support for Ukraine wanes, we could see Russia continue to advance right. towards Kiev. Um, so keep you know that... that- but also, you got to keep in mind that now that this stuff is popping off with Israel and Palestine, that they're not going to, Russia's not going to get the drones that they were getting from Iran or what we allege are from Iran. You know, they're not going to have that backing anymore. So that could also affect them as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and so we've, and we also got Russia coming out in support of Hamas. That's going to take resources. Shocker. Um, so yeah, that I would say. I know that's not a real answer, I guess, but um, because of because of this new um, conflict that sprung up within the last um, forty eight hours, it's kind of ma- it's kind of making the answer more murky than it yeah. would have been forty eight hours ago. I guess the real answer is time will tell. Time will tell, which is a non answer. So we yeah. apologize for that. <laughs> Yep. Do you have a fun question? Um, I do have a fun question. Um, do you want this to be the last question? Uh, I think I have one more geopolitical question. Okay, we're going to do that in. first? Yeah, or? let's do that first. We will end yeah, on the, a good note. That, yeah, we need to end on the fun question because I can see the fun question. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not going to be a long answer, I'll tell you that. It's not going to be fun for him, but oh. it's fun for everyone else. Um. Yeah. So this. I yeah. actually do have another question. Well, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll ask that other question when you're done with this one. I'm sorry, because it ties into the last one. So it'd be stupid to ask the question now. So yeah. ask your geopolitical question. Okay. So this comes from Lucas. Okay. And this was before the uh, Hamas-Israel conflict. So I won't say that. I won't put that as the answer because that would just be too easy right um but he had asked what was the next big geopolitical crisis that you see (laughs) yeah that would have been that would have been a cheat like that That would have been a cop-out for sure yeah so the next big one is hamas israel um (laughs) now i'm not going to do that to lucas since you took the time time to ask that so i won't so we got russia ukraine right now we've got kosovo and serbia um, Israel and Hamas. So I think if I'm going to say the next geopolitical crisis, just looking at everything that's going on right now, 
I, I hate to say that I, I just think it's going to be China invading Taiwan. They're becoming more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. is distracted by all these other conflicts that they have to support because we are allies to all these countries. And I will say the U.S. should support it because we are allies. What if that's like part of the scheme to get us distracted with all these like um, conflicts that kind of bring our attention away from our own, you know, land? And it's to. Yeah, that's That's how panicking again. That's geopolitics for you. That, like that is all, definitely they're all colluding. Collusion. Collusion. I I do feel that that could definitely be it. Um, so keep your eyes open. <laughs> and yeah, so I didn't want to cop out. <laughs> yeah, didn't, I didn't include Lucas's question originally, um, because that would have been my answer, and it would have been a yeah. cop out. Yeah, and so want to do a disservice. Yeah, but now you're answering. So what you. Did you answer? I, I think it's it's China Taiwan, but also China, be Taiwan. looking at at North Korea and South Korea. Um, yeah, that's that nice. could escalate very quickly depending on Kim Jong Un, and he's like our political wild card. Everybody's like off their rocker right now. Yeah, everyone. Ugh. It's depressing. So, so let's get to something less depressing. You have a fun question. Well, I wouldn't call it less depressing oh, for no. you, but. For everyone listening, last question, last fun question. But I do have a question. So last year, did you say that she had to wait a year before she asked this? Is that what happened? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. I don't know why she... Because I think it was brought up maybe in the the one year anniversary and you were like, ask me again in a year or something (laughs) like that. Right, because it was an oddly specific time. Yeah, I think I think we need to go back and listen. But anyways, our um, last fun question. This comes from our good friend Miranda, who asks if you will spill the tea on your beef with Coolio. Yes, the rapper Coolio, that rapper, that human. Rest in peace, sir. But what I. Beef, but be careful because you don't like speaking ill of the dead. That's what that was going to be my answer. I do not oh. like to speak ill of the dead, and you don't have to, and you can still drop a little, a little tea, a little. Tea. I can say from my personal involvement with Coolio and interactions with Coolio, he is not a, he was not a good person. Yeah. Um. He was. Uh. Aggressive. How do I say this? Very aggressive. aggressive. He would probably, if he was in a corporate environment, he would have had a lot of sexual harassment violations, probably. Yeah, he called Curvin um, slurs. Very, yep. Homophobic slurs. By the way, that I looked. Yeah, which was very hot, by the way, so I don't know where that came (laughs) from. You looked great. He was very aggressive towards women. A young lady. In a bar. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't. I didn't like the guy, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead. Rest in peace, Coolio. I don't mind speaking ill. He was a POS. Well, he... Okay. Uh, Just um, a Cliff's Notes version is in Vegas at a club. There was a woman who looked distressed, and she was surrounded by 
men. I mean, Carvin didn't know who these people were, but he could tell that she did not like the interactions between her herself and those men. So he stepped in and tried to remove her from the situation. She was grateful, um, but the men were not so grateful. And then it turned out that it was Coolio and his friends and basically a bunch of homophobic slurs were thrown at Kervin and Kervin was actually, I mean, the woman was thankful and she left, but Kervin was kicked out of that club with, by men with guns too, because this was part of Coolio's posse. Yeah, it was Coolio's friend group and stuff, but they had guns and they were saying really nasty things to my husband. And the woman did not want to have, you know, didn't want um, Coolio and his friends saying or doing whatever they were saying and doing, which clearly did not sit well with her. And he tried to step in and they were really, really nasty to him because they were, I guess... Um, they didn't like that he was putting his nose in the biz- in their business, but that woman needed somebody to back her up, and Carvin did that, and they didn't like that at the end. And R.I.P. Coolio. Yeah. Sorry, Not- your life was so hard, because his heart was, <laughs> I mean, his life was obviously hard. You're like, all right, I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, I just don't like the guy. All right. Well, it happens sometimes. He didn't like you either, so it was That's the feeling true. was mutual. You know, Very you true. were messing with his game, and he didn't appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> but, anyways, before we um, end this episode, which is long, so if you're still listening to it, we really, really, really appreciate you. But we just want to um, let you guys know that if you want, we'd love you to share our podcast with your friends or family or colleagues or just random strangers <laughs> anybody yeah whoever you want whoever you feel like needs to know a little bit more about geopolitics and stuff but or also the governor we wanna... of louisiana oh yeah also <laughs> we do need to point this out we found this out last night um apparently spotify is placing ads in our podcast that we are unaware of including political ads that we don't necessarily agree with like we don't know who these political candidates are we don't know what they stand for we don't know what their platform is but people are putting ads in our podcast and we have no idea what the heck is going on with that so we apologize um because we thought the only ads that were being played were the ones that we were being told to re- or asked to record, not told to record because we don't have to record them. But apparently some ads play every once in a while. And we apologize because we don't have anything to do with the ones that aren't my voice or his voice. Yeah, so. that's what I was going to say. If you hear my voice or Tiana's voice, we have vetted that company. And that is something that either one of us has used before or they have sent us a product and we both have used like Blendjet. I don't know. I know you you do that, but I've used Blendjet before when I was deployed and I do you really did, love you it. Did, you did lose, use Blendjet and that's the only reason why we recorded it. You did like Blendjet, but yeah. So apparently we have ads that are popping up in our podcast and we don't know how or where or why. No one's told us anything and we are looking into it because that's uncool. Yes. And also, finally, just we want to thank our listeners so much for sticking with us through these two years. It's been a bumpy ride. 
to say the least. We're still figuring things out, but we appreciate every single one of you. Even my cynical rear end appreciates you. So, um, yeah, just thank you. Just keep sticking with us. We've got some new things coming in the next year. I know we said that last year, but that things kind of went. We got off new mics. The rails. If you can't we, hear, oh my gosh, let us know so if any, it sounds better. Yeah, but anyways, just um, yeah. Any more? If you have any questions or anything, just reach out to us. And I don't know. I don't know, Garvin. Wrap it up, buddy. Yeah, we just we're very appreciative of of everybody not that listens that interacts um it keeps us going and it, it just means that you guys are focused on what is happening in the world and, and you want a logical factual unbiased analysis of the situation so if that is true and you love the analysis that we give yes like tiana said give like send it to anybody send our podcast to to anybody let them know that this exists and we'd love to hear from you but other than that tiana you have anything else you want to add nope we just want to thank you for listening to our humble little geopolitical podcast um we hope you found it both informative and engaging if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes please let us know and if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more follow us on instagram at oakland analytics tiana thank you so much and until next week Stay safe out there.